Is it on? Can you hear it? Yeah. It's good to see you, church family. Everybody feeling okay? I will say this. We were, uh, I will venture to say that we were given a brief reprieve given the fact that February and March usually starts the 85, 90 range. And uh, so we were given a brief reprieve. And now that it's here, it's a deep reminder, you are in Houston. Act accordingly and turn that air conditioner up. I'm glad that that worked out for you, brother I am. Well, uh, good evening. Uh, I am Michael Murray. I'm your brother in Christ. And um, it's an absolute privilege and an honor once again to be able to share with you this evening. If you're watching via the internet or uh, our television broadcast, welcome. And uh, I pray that um, we will all get something from what the Holy Spirit's laid on my heart. If you will, join me in prayer and we'll dive right into it, okay? Oh, Abba, hmm. once again, it is an honor and a privilege to come in, in fellowship with your bride, with your body. It's an honor and a privilege to, to share with my brothers and sisters. I pray right now, Father God, as, as I've continuously prayed, that our hearts are fertile soil for your word, and that you would give us a nugget that we could cling to, and that we could apply in our everyday lives so that the world may see how we love one another and by that love know for a fact that, that you are real and that you are crying out to them. I pray have your way in this, in this time we have together. Draw us even closer to you, Abba. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I... Um, as I dive in this evening, I want us to keep in mind that um, God's laid it on my heart for, uh, to, to point out certain progressions that are in, um, in Scripture. God's Word says that His intention for us is to move from glory to glory. That means to grow in Him as we get to know Him more. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and uh, there are certain progressions that I've noticed in the Bible. You can take a look at individuals' lives, those lives played out in front of us. You take a look at Saul, and you know, man of God called for God, but you know, ran after the things of the world and didn't end so hot for him. Then you look at David, and meager beginnings, but it was that constant heart for God where God continued to open up doors, and uh, even when he made mistakes, um, as the song that we sang said, even when I fail you, I know that you still love me. And I think that, that was something that David had a grasp on. That even when he failed God, and he failed God in major ways, he knew that God still loved him, and that was that that moved him to that Psalm 51 heart of, please don't take your spirit away from me. I need you. I've messed up big time. But I know you still love me. Don't turn away from me. You know? But you can look, and there are people's lives throughout Scripture where there are progressions. Is there something I can do to fix that? What am I doing to cause it? We good? Yeah. Um, this first one that I'm going to share with you, actually uh, I want to give credit to uh, Billy Graham. One of the things I really like about Billy Graham is that if you listen, I don't care what he was preaching about, there was some element of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Salvation. Salvation is mind-boggling to me. 
The fact that the God who spoke everything into existence, sustains everything around me, yearns for communion and relationship with me. So much so that he put on skin and allowed himself to to be murdered, if you're just looking at exactly what it is, but in sacrificing himself, made a way for me to have that relationship with him. You know, and I pray that as often as God gives me the opportunity, uh, my pastors give me the opportunity to speak, that there will always be that element of salvation, God's saving grace. Um, and this first one I want to point out to us is a progression, and it's the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and overall, Billy Graham looks at the uh, first or verses 3 through 8 as the salvation message. But I think that if you follow that from 5.3 to 5.11 range, you see the development, the progression of an individual, of a soul who has linked up with God. And it says, I will partner with you to make your name known in the earth. You know, so let's take a look at it. Um, Matthew 5, 3 through 11. I'm going to read it like straight through and then I'll take a look at each portion. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely, for my name's sake. If you take a look at it, there is a progression there. And the first part says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's where we have, we come to that place to where we recognize that we are destitute. We are empty. There is a void within us that is a Christ-shaped void. And when we recognize that in our spirit, we are destitute, we are lost and we have nothing, that's when you, it's that first recognition of a heart cry of, I need God. So when we recognize that we are poor in spirit, that's when we can move to that next step. It says, blessed are those who mourn. That's that fertile soil for repentance. So we recognize first and foremost that I am destitute. I have nothing spiritually without God. Then we come to that place to where we mourn. We recognize our destitute state, but we recognize that that deep gulf or that distance between us and God is that we are full, we are sinful, sinful human beings. So we begin, we get to that point to, hey, I need God. My sin is that gulf between God and I mourn for that. I mourn for the fact that there is sin in my life. I was born into this world a sinful man or a sinful woman. Does it make sense to you? So we recognize our destitute state. We mourn the fact that sin has created that gulf between us. Then the next 5-5 uh, five, five says, Blessed are those who are meek. So we recognize that we're destitute. 
We mourn those sins, and then we have to humble ourselves. When you hear of someone being meek, it points to uh, a spirit or a mentality of humbleness, of humility. That's where we humble ourselves. You know, in 1 John 2, 6 says that, you know, it goes through the list of things, the, the uh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and it says the pride of life. These things are not of God, they are of the world. We have to come to that place to where we recognize, instead of that pride of life that says, look what I did, look what I accomplished. It's where we come to that place of humility. It's like, Father God, I'm nothing without you. I am dust. I am a porcelain frame. I need you. I humble myself before you. Blessed are the meek. Then 5, 6 points to um, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that Jesus knew no sin, but he took on sin that through him we might become or be made the righteousness of God. That's God's promise to us. So we recognize our state. We mourn those sins. We humble ourselves before him. And then as we get to know him more, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he promises that we will be filled. That's beautiful to me. And ultimately, what God is saying is that we will become the righteousness of God. That's mind-blowing to me. Mind-blowing. But it's also extremely comforting to me. Does that make sense to you? Then 5, 7 points to, blessed are the merciful. And along this progression, as you see, we begin to exhibit the characteristics of God. We begin to exhibit the characteristics of Jesus the Christ. We begin to exhibit the characteristics of His Holy Spirit. So as we recognize our state, we mourn those sins, we humble ourselves before Him, we hunger and thirst after righteousness, and He fills us. We get to the point to where we become merciful. We're beginning to treat others around us the way that God treated us. It's that progression. We're growing in that walk as we walk with God. Five eight tells us, "Blessed are the pure in heart." And I'm going to go to talk a little bit more about these, and I'm going to go to Ezekiel thirty six. Um, I think that speaks to that process of gaining that pure heart that God desires to give us. Um, and then five nine says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." And I'm, I'm going to just kind of pose the question. Anyone, if you will, throw any answers back at me. Um, what is the best way to be a peacemaker? This isn't like a test or something. Like, any answers? I'm, I'm, I really want to know your thoughts. Um, everybody's looking like, oh my gosh. What do we think? Best way to be a peacemaker. Okay, I've got forgive people. I like that. Reconcile people to God. You saw my notes, didn't you? So check this out. Jesus is the Prince of what? The Prince of Peace. So I think the absolute best way to bring peace into certain situations, if there are people that we know, people that we love, and maybe there are factions that are warring with one another, whether it be verbally, physically, or what have you, or if there's an individual who's broken and hurting and needs peace in their life, they, know, they do not know peace. They know only aggravation, frustration. 
um, and pain. The best way that we can be a peacemaker, as Pastor Angela stated, is to reconcile people to God via Jesus Christ. Introduce them to the Prince of Peace, and you will be a peacemaker. Does it make sense to you? And then the persecuted, um, verses 10 through 11. If you look at that whole progression, that's an individual. I'm out here. I recognize how I look myself in the mirror when there's nobody else around. No matter what I have surrounded myself with, the house, the cars, the job, the success, the friends, whatever it is, when I look myself in the mirror, I know I'm empty and I'm destitute. Then I come to the place I mourn those sins. I humble myself before God. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. He fills me. Then I begin to exhibit those characteristics. I'm merciful. He's given me a pure heart. I'm a peacemaker. I'm introducing people to Jesus. And two main guarantees that I cling to from Jesus the Christ that I get from the gospel is that, number one, he will never leave me nor forsake me. He has overcome the world, and I can cling to him and know that no matter what the world does, no matter how much the ship rocks, he's with me, and he will not leave me. Secondly, he guarantees you that if you are someone who is going to proclaim his name in this world, this earth, that rails against him. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, you know, in, in, in the world that, that rails against the knowledge of God, the freedom that comes from knowing God. If you are going to be someone who is going to do that, you can guarantee that there's going to be some level of persecution. It may not be like our brothers and sisters in Nigeria whose lives are being taken, livelihoods being taken away, property being taken, but at some point you will experience some type of persecution. That's the progression that I see, but it's beautiful in that. Because if you come to that level, if we come to that level where we are persecuted for His name's sake, we will know in a greater level to cling to Him, to stay close to Him, the benefit and the necessity of doing so. In a place when we don't experience persecution, it's easy to just look at it as an option. Look at Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, fellowshipping with the body of Christ, growing together. It's easy to look at it as an option, but when you face persecution, it becomes extremely real to you. Those scriptures that say, um, I, I want to know God in His glory and in His suffering. I want to know Jesus in His suffering. That becomes real. Those scriptures become real to us, and there's a preciousness to that. So that's that progression that we see in Matthew chapter 5. Once again, Billy Graham pointed out, you know, those first couple of scriptures, it's basically in, in, uh, encoded in the Sermon on the Mount, the way to salvation. But I say that it's, a, it's also a detail of a person growing in Christ. Now, I'm, I'm going to address the, the pure in heart piece, verse 5-8, by going to Ezekiel 36, 25-27. And I want to credit uh, Pastor Goodluck on this. I'm sure in my life I've read it, you know, in reading God's Word through um, and studying particular books. But um, I sat down and talked with Pastor Goodluck, and I never really paid attention to the big S spirit in this particular set of scriptures. And it just illuminated. It had, you know, God's Word says we want to have the eyes of our understanding illuminated. I was blown away. I was like, man, psh, that's awesome. Let's read Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 together. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, 
and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Boy, that's, that's comforting right there, isn't it? And if you take a look at that, that pure heart piece, this is where God is promising. If you look at the progression that we talked about in Matthew 5 um, through 8, that's that him, him cleansing you with the water. You're recognizing, you're coming to God like you are life. You have the words of life. I need you. And that's where God is cleansing us with those water, recognizing, causing us to recognize these things have been sins, these things have been idols in my life. I want to take my hands from around them so that I can wrap my hands around you, Lord Jesus. And he's sprinkling and he's bringing that cleansing and he's giving us a new heart. Remove that heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And the beautiful thing about this is in that next piece, he tells you that I'm giving you my spirit, capital S. So we have that spirit. Everybody has a conscience. That's where I think God, in that that verse in Ecclesiastes where it says God has uh, placed eternity into the hearts of man he does so in that little less spirit when there's nobody around and you're looking in the mirror there's something more to this life than what i've been doing going to work and just simply living but he gives us that capital s that capital his spirit that we might not have to do this alone that we would not have to depend on our own efforts But in Him giving us that new heart and His Spirit, we can do it. We can grow closer to God. And I think it's important to protect that heart. You know, Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts because out of the heart... And when you think of heart, when the Bible uses that, just you want to think mind, will, emotions, you know. Um, And He's given us that new heart, and it's important that we guard that heart because out of it flow the issues of life, the things of life. I want to give a, uh, a progression, I guess you would call it a, an admonishment progression. So, I've began to walk with God. He's very real to me. He's cleansed me. I mourned over those sins, recognized that that's something that created a gulf between us. Um, I've made the decision that I do not want it. I've humbled myself before him. I'm walking with God to the point that he's using me. People I'm talking to. He set me on fire with his his word to share with the people that I work with at the school, the people that I interact with at the grocery store, the people that I interact with on my job or anywhere I go, that message is heavy on my heart and I just want to share it with someone. So I'm walking with God. I know God. And that's the greatest blessing. You know, um, it's, it is awesome to get a new car, new house, all these things. And my old pastor um, back in North Carolina used to say when he would address, you know, things like new house, new car, or what have you. He was like, why are you surprised? He was like, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He was like, but be careful to always remember that he owns the hills too. Like, all of it's his. Don't be surprised at it, you know. But I honestly think the greatest blessing is to know 
God more. The greatest blessing is to grow closer, to be obedient to the things that he says, this is something that you're still clinging to more than me. Let it go. And now that you have that new heart that he's given you, and you have his Holy Spirit, that's something that you're not only able to do, but you're willing to do. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I want to be closer to you. So I think this next progression I will give as, a, um, as an admonishment. If you will, turn to uh, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. So who in here wants to be blessed? Say, say me. Who wants to be blessed? I want to be blessed. So let's figure out how we can do so. All right? Psalm chapter 1. And let me give you some background on this one. Like, the fact that it, the progression, that this is a progression and that it plays out in real life, in the world in which we live, I experienced it. And, like, it's, I've been in certain situations in my life where the scripture, like, comes alive. Like, I, I may have read it four or five years before. And I'm in a situation, and it just, it hits me like, whoa, this is happening in real time. Um, I went through a really devastating situation in 2006, um, and I was in college at the time. And so there were multiple worlds that I interacted in, and I was on fire for God, like solidly. So I was in college, and at the time, the university I went to, you know, I had a couple of friends who knew Jesus Christ and walked with him, but I had a, there were a lot of people that I shared class with who were friends that did not know Christ. And then I had a solid church family um, that was at Cliffdale Christian Center. And as I went through this devastating time, I was getting... So many people pouring so much advice on how to approach the situation. And I had, you know, my group of friends from college and, you know, spent a lot of time hanging out and whatnot. And there was one particular event, like the verse, the end of verse 1 came like alive to me and I got up and left. The situation. Um, let me read it and then I'll walk you through what the situation is. It says, Bless. Who wants to be blessed? Me. Me. Blessed is the man who walks, and watch the progression, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Do you see the progression? Walks. I'm still active. I'm still, okay, but I'm, I've surrounded myself with people who are, do not know God. So they're pouring in their advice. It says that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Does that make sense? Walk. There's still some activity there. there it sounds like there's, we're in that valley of decision at that point. I'm still walking, but... I'm hearing this ungodly advice. The next step says, does not stand 
in the path of sinners. What has happened to my walking? It stopped. I'm now stationary. It's now, I'm now not just walking in the council or hearing the ideas. I've stopped. The ungodly and sinners now have my attention. And this last one hit me. This was the one that, and I was like, where did that come from? I, I can't remember the last time before this event. I could not remember the last time I had read Psalms 1. But it says, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And I had a friend um, that I went to college with. And he, there was always that, you could tell there was that spirit, that sense of, he, his family was more affluent, wealthy, and there was a sense of, who needs your God? You know? And I said something, we were all hanging out, and I said something that gave glory to God. I don't remember exactly what it was. And uh, he did something to the tune of, he looked around and he was like, where is your God? <laughs> and he was laughing. And it, this scripture... Like that line, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It hit me like where I had come to. I did, not have, I did not say anything else. I got up and I immediately left. My prayer partner, uh, Brother Ray. Brother Ray, if you ever see this, I love you, man. Um, my prayer partner, I went to him. I said, look, this situation is, is heavy. Um but I know that I have surrounded myself with those who are not seeking God and I need God's wisdom. I need God's insight. And we walked through the situation he gave me, God's word. And he told me, I always admired that about him. He said, Mike, I could tell you all, give you all the programs or advice that I could give, but I'll let you down. I'm a man. He said, but God will not. And this is what God says about your situation. And now it's up to you to man up. Are you going to do what God says? Because this is more difficult than what the world is telling you. I was like, wow. So I guess this, this progression here would be, the first progression talked about that we're, we begin that relationship, we walk with Him, and we're being used by Him. This is an, a progression of admonishment. If I want to be blessed, and that greatest blessing is remaining and staying close to God and getting to know Him more, I want to make sure that, excuse me, I do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Then I stop and I'm actually with sinners. And I'm not saying that, I think it's, that's where you would have found Jesus, but he wasn't there to sin with them. He was there to bring them, just like we mentioned before, he's the prince of peace to bring them peace, to bring them freedom. Um, and we do not sit in the seat of the scornful. That means where we become sedentary. We're no longer walking with God, we've latched ourselves onto the cart of the world. So that's almost an admonishment, I guess you would. But here's the bright part. I always like to, everybody's starting to look at me like, oh, let's, let's talk about the good part so we can smile now. We want to, who wants to be blessed? Shucks, me too. The person who will be blessed, we're not going to do that. We're not going to walk with the ungodly, stand with sinners, seat in the, sit, sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does 
whatever he does shall prosper. What's in that box right there is going to prosper. God's put that heavy on my heart. Don't stop praying for what's in this box. I'm, you, please. God, I can't continue with what I'm doing in education. It's, my heart breaks every single day. And I feel that God has given me the answer to what we're seeing in education. And it's in that box. Let's keep praying. Because I want to be blessed. I'm going to follow His direction. And whatever I do shall prosper. Because I'm going to follow that progression. Does it make sense to you? All right, so. At that time, like, I always have it, like, down to a, what it's going to be. And it, like, sneaks up on me like shucks. All right, so we talked about some progression. Now we're going to take a look at um, a progression of protection. And hopefully it'll make sense as, or as it's made sense and clicked in my brain. Hopefully you'll see it the, the same way or maybe I'm able to express it how I see it. If you will, turn to page, uh, to page 1871 here. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17. And we'll look at the progression here. Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 17. Well, I'm, I'm going to read 18. I think I gave in the notes just to 17. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Right? So you want to always take context into consideration in the time when Paul would have been writing this letter to the Ephesians the general garments they didn't have nice khakis but they had garments that the belt was around the waist and when it was time to run they would take up that garment tuck it into the belt so that they could move unhindered so when it says to Gird your waist with truth. That's want to make, you want to make sure you get to the place to where the things that you speak are not lies. We entangle ourselves with lies. We entangle ourselves with knowledge that's carnal. We're sharing something that's just from me. But if I share the truth, just as we sang tonight, I love that song, by the way. Hey, you guys rocked it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um... Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We gird our waist with that truth, with Jesus Christ, and if that's what we have to share, then we know we are guiding people in the right direction, and we will not entangle ourselves, and we will not share something that will entangle someone else. Does it make sense? So we want to gird ourselves, our waist, with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So let's kind of tie this a little bit together. This is where I saw it. Um, we talked about the fact that in Matthew 5, 8, the pure in heart, then we talked about Ezekiel um, 36, how, how do we get that pure heart? 
It's something that God, it's a gift that God freely wants to give to us. I will give you, I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He wants to give us that pure heart. But it's important that we protect it. How do we do so? We do it with the breastplate of righteousness. What the breastplate protects is all your um, vital organs, but in those vital organs is your heart. And you want to do so by recognizing, and going back to what we talked about, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that we have been made the righteousness of God. And as Pastor has been speaking on, you begin to speak that. Those times where you don't feel worthy. Those times where you made a negative choice. I don't say mistakes because we make choices. But you've made a negative choice. You've made a choice that you know hurts the heart of our Abba. You say, you know what, Father God, forgive me. I want you to keep this heart pure. I want to see you. I am your righteousness. Jesus took on sin, became sin, that I might be your righteousness. And I haven't felt like it today. I don't feel like I look like it right now, but I am. Guard my heart. That's why we put the breastplate of righteousness on. And we speak it out loud to remind ourselves. David constantly said it, and and I won't say constantly, multiple times where he he reminded his soul, Hey soul, get up, we're going to praise God. I don't feel like it today, but I'm telling you this soul, we're going to do it today because he's worthy. It becomes a consistent lifestyle. And we keep that breastplate of righteousness clinked on. Does it make sense to you? I'm not losing anyone, am I? So we keep our waist girded about with truth. We keep that breastplate of righteousness on so that we might protect that new heart that God has given us. And having your feet, or your, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I keep God's word, and God's word, when I'm constantly in God's word, I've shod my feet, it's directing me on where I should walk. As I keep my feet shod with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace, I'm ready in all seasons, because I've been in the Word, I'm ready in all seasons to share with someone who's weary, a brother or sister in Christ who is weary, or someone who does not know God and needs to know Him. I've, I've prepared myself, that preparation of the gospel of peace, and I'm ready at any moment to share Him. And the power, the freedom that comes in him. Does it make sense? Following in the, in the progression. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. If you hold that shield up, and when we think shield, we might be thinking like Captain America, but that was like made of vibranium or something, you know what I'm saying? And so it was a little circle. But the shields that they would have been talking about in context would have been a shield that basically covered from head to toe and it's that faith as we continue as we are going to be people who move throughout the progression knowing him making him known to others it's that shield of faith there are things that are going to be thrown at you because above all the world our flesh when i say our i mean collective mankind's flesh and the devil, our adversary, who roars about like a, like a, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
going to throw things at us to try to, number one, attack that new heart that God has given us. Get us to give our own opinions, or in some cases, lies or what have you, to entangle ourselves and entangle others. Things are going to be thrown at us. That faith is what you need in front of you. That faith that says, yeah, I see this is happening, but I trust God's Word and I'm going to speak what this tells me about the situation. Yeah, you're telling me that. That's great. But I'm going to tell you what God says about the situation. This is the answer to what you have going on. The situation that you're facing. Maybe we can share with someone else and they can pick up the shield of faith themselves, you know. I don't know, just thinking, just throwing things out there. Then the next one says, And take the helmet of salvation. And we'll stop right there. So if I put a helmet on, what is that covering? It's covering my brain, my mind. And I've never read it. Um, There may be someone who has, but Joyce Meyer is just a phrase I'll use. She talked about the battlefield of the mind. Um, A lot of the things that we would face, a lot of the spiritual warfare that goes on happens within our thought life. That helmet of salvation is where I'm able to say, hey, all right, this is a, this is a, this is a war zone. What, what's going on with these thoughts? It doesn't matter. He has saved me. I can take every thought captive when I keep in mind that I have been saved. The helmet of salvation rests and it protects my thoughts. I don't have to get caught up in the things that this world's throwing at me. In the things that my own thoughts are bringing. I don't have to get caught up in it because He saved me. He saved me. Yes, this is a tough situation, but He saved me. It's a constant reminder. I put on that helmet of salvation. My thoughts are guarded by the realization that He saved me. Make sense? Okay. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to do this, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And I'll go ahead and close this out. I really like it. And for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So I don't know if you guys see the progressions, but God calls us from glory to glory. As we begin that process, no matter where you are, as, as I spoke about the Sermon on the Mount, wherever you are this evening, maybe you're that person who you've never even begun that walk, but you're realizing that there's something missing. I'm destitute without Christ. Or maybe you're at that point where you've recognized that sin's in your life and you're beginning to mourn that. I don't want this in my life anymore. Just know that He can make you meek. He can humble you if you'll let Him. He can give you a pure heart. He won't leave you out there to do it on your own. Once He gives you that pure heart, He promises His Spirit, capital S, His Spirit to help you as you walk it out, as you seek to make Him known to others who are hurting and lost. 
You want to make sure that you put on that full armor so that you can speak boldly and proclaim his gospel. Will you join me in prayer? Ah, Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your presence, for your willingness to draw me closer to you. Your word says that if we will draw close to you, you will draw near to us. So help me, Father God. Help us to purposely, to find a practical, purposeful way each day to draw near to you, trusting your word that you'll draw near to us. We need you. There are many people in each and every one of our lives, family members, co-workers, people we pass daily that are lost, that are hurting. We have you, the Prince of Peace. Help us to be peacemakers. We have you, the truth. Help us to shine your truth into a dark world that is full of lies and inconsistencies. Use us, Father God. Cleanse us and use us that they might know you, that they might know life. You're so good to us. Help us to stay close to you, to be those people who want to be blessed and truly know you. Help us to put on your armor daily so that we may speak boldly about you as we ought to speak. You're so good to us, Father. Just keep us close. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I love you guys.